Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity that you have given each one of us to to come together, um, to worship you, to remind ourselves of who you are, your greatness and your goodness and your love. And God, I pray for each one of us this morning, myself included, that we leave different than when we came. When we walk home or get in our cars and drive home, that we would be more in your likeness. That having been in your presence, there would be a change in our lives. And this only happens through the power of your spirit. And it's in Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, good morning. I have made an official request to, uh, to Pastor Greg that on the weekend of the Los Angeles Marathon, I would prefer to preach, and then I will never have to run in the marathon. <laughs> well, you aren't running either, so. Uh, <laughs> had an interesting, uh, we, are, we are in uh, a teaching series called Being Part of Something Bigger. Many of you are wearing the shirts today, and we have them for sale. Uh, for a very affordable price, and, and if you've been with us for the last few weeks, you know that what we're doing this fall, starting out, is looking at our, our guiding really important statements of our church, our mission, our vision. We just finished our third message last weekend in our community essentials when Greg preached about our serving God's mission. And in your worship folder, you will see all of that guiding statement there, and, and this morning, we are starting our first of four messages centered around our core values. And if you haven't picked up from the scripture and from the songs that we have been singing together, uh, today we are looking at the, our core value of kingdom community. And it reads this, that reflecting God's family in the church, we are unified across cultural, generational, and socioeconomic, and racial and ethnic differences. And Revelation 7, 9 is referenced, and Ephesians 2, 11 through 22, and Ephesians 2, 11 through 22. Kelly, thank you for leading us, and that's the text we'll be looking at this morning. I had an interesting uh, moment this week uh, preparing. I was at Starbucks to prepare to, to get out of here and, and to look at the text and to look at the sermon, and uh, noticed next to me um, these two gentlemen that were together having, having time, connecting with each other. And I was not focused, so I was just eavesdropping on them, because that's what you do at Starbucks when you're by yourself. Um, and they started, uh, just friends, having a conversation. All of a sudden, they started talking about the Super Bowl win of the Denver Broncos. And both of them were Denver Bronco fans. And so they started, and let's close in prayer. Um, <laughs> They both started talking about the Super Bowl and how great the win was for the, for the team and things like that. And then all of a sudden the conversation changed where one of them asked, well, how long have you been a Denver Bronco fan? And then the other person, well, I've been a fan since 87. And then the other guy, well, I've been a fan before Elway. And they started getting into this conversation about who was the better Denver Bronco fan. Like two of them who were united, we, we just, you just had a huge win, right? But they do what human beings do. What we all do is we try to find ways to differentiate ourselves and to, to be set aside and to divide ourselves based on things like loyalty or how long we've been a fan, who's more devout, who's been around a little bit longer, who knows a little bit more, who's got a little bit more esteem or status. 
It was interesting because that's what is going on in the book of Ephesians, and it was, it was lived out in a very NFL kind of way in front of me, that their conversation changed, and all of a sudden it was no longer about the win, but it was about who was better, and who was a fan longer, and who knew more about the Denver Broncos, and they were proving to each other who was more devout, because human beings will always find a way to separate ourselves from one another. We will always do it. That's what's happening in the book of Ephesians. The church in Ephesus was a multi-ethnic church. It was a church with people from all different kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of cultural backgrounds, and now because of Jesus, they found themselves in one community together. And what was happening was the same thing that was happening at Starbucks. They, They found ways to separate themselves from one another. They found ways to look at the differences of their backgrounds, the differences of their understanding of God, and started putting more value on their own particular understandings than someone else's. And so Paul is writing to a very uh, multi-ethnic and divided church. The book of Ephesians is six chapters, and the easiest way to understand Ephesians is chapters one through three and four through six. And one through three, Paul is writing doctrine. He is saying, these are the things you should know. Let me help you understand how to think the way God has has laid out for us to think. And then chapters 4 through 6 are things you should do. So chapters 1 through 3, we we have that and we'll call it orthodoxy. And then 4 through 6 is more orthopraxy, the practical way of living because of what you know. Because Paul knows what we need to know, that it's not just enough to know something to be true. But the real challenge of being a human is taking what we know to be true and now actually doing something with it and living with it. Everybody I've talked to uh, this week about the, working out this Denver Bronco thing, the reality is everybody, when I say human beings will always find ways to separate themselves from one another, to set themselves apart. And, and, and we know that to be true, but the reality is we do it all the time. So it's not just enough to know something. We need chapters four through six to know how to live. So I encourage you this week to read Ephesians one through six. It's six chapters. It's a beautiful read. It's a challenging read because it goes from very deep, here's what you need to know, to here's how you are to live. But remember, the context of the church in Ephesus is one of division, One where people are doing what people do, separating themselves out, trying to advocate that that someone has been there longer, better, faster, and that their understanding, their way of understanding Jesus and church and all of that is better than the other. And that is the context for which Paul is writing. So when we catch up in verse 11 of chapter 2, Paul is, is already well into making an argument and helping us understand who God is, who we are as human beings, and how we are to live in God's world. That's what Paul is writing in Ephesians 1 to 3. So when we take the verse, starting in verse 11 and go through 22, there are three movements, three movements in Paul's argument that we're going to look at this morning. And the first movement is found in verses 11 to 12, and we'll call it our former reality. Paul is writing about our former reality. When he says, therefore, remember that formerly... You who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. 
Paul is writing at this particular to a mainly Gentile Christian audience, second generation. These are people whose parents and the generation above them met Jesus, heard about Jesus, gave their lives to Jesus, and they were first generation Christians. Now, these are the second generation Christians that are in the Ephesian church, and Paul is reminding them that, hey, it wasn't that long ago that you knew nothing about all of this church stuff. It wasn't that long ago you didn't even have hope in this world. It wasn't that long ago that you had no idea who God was and his ways and his, his way of connecting with people and that his plan. He was reminding them of their former reality. They were two generations into the church and how quickly they forgot where they had come from. Two generations into the church and they'd already forgotten where they had come from. So when Paul wakes them up in a very provocative text in the time and says things like, the uncircumcision, separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship from Israel, foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope, without God in the world. The former reality was that the Gentiles were all of those things, excluded from citizenship from Israel, Israel foreigners to the covenant, separate from God. We have to remember there, there's all this beautiful context in the Old Testament that helps us understand what's going on in God's plan up to this point. And early on in the Bible, we see that God does something beautiful after he creates everything, every human being, every, every piece of real estate in the galaxy. God is the creator of it all. He chooses one particular group of people, the nation of Israel, the Jewish people, and he says, here's what we're going to do. You and I, we are going to have a special relationship. It's going to be a unique relationship. It's a different relationship than I'm going to have with any other people group in the world. And the reason I'm choosing you, Israel, to be my chosen people, to be my special people, is that the way you and I have this relationship, we are going to demonstrate to the world who I am and what my ways are in this world. People will see, they will watch, and they will understand something about me because of how you and I have a relationship. That's our roots. That's the former reality of our faith is that God had a chosen people. And through that chosen people, that unique relationship was to demonstrate to the world who God is. Now, when you read the rest of the Old Testament, you know that that relationship is a rocky relationship. There are some high points to the relationship, and there are a lot of low points. And throughout this relationship, with all the statutes, with all the rules, with all the regulations, with all these that had very particular reasons for why God was doing this, he starts promising them in the Old Testament. He says, hey, there will be a day where I'm going to send a Messiah. And all these things that you are accustomed to doing, and by the way, not doing a lot of the time, the Messiah will come and there'll be a different way. There'll be a new reality. There will be a new covenant. And that is Jesus. So when, when Paul is writing to this church in Ephesians, he's, he's, he's tapping into something that we need to realize is true for ourselves, that just two generations into the church, the Gentiles who are now new to faith because Jesus, Jesus comes and he lives and he dies and he raises from the dead and he, and he goes global. No longer is it just one particular group of people. Now God is for everyone through Jesus. Amen? We're all here because of that, most of us. I'm sure there's some Jewish people here, praise God. But because God has gone, gone global, 
Now all the sudden Gentiles are now grafted into this family. Now they find themselves in this church where there's people who have Jewish background who have a very clear understanding of the Old Testament and the ways of God. And now these new people are kind of starting at Jesus. And that's where we start separating ourselves from one another. So it's important for Paul to remind the Gentile Christians, hey, by the way, your former reality, you knew nothing of this. Simmer down a little bit. Friends, the truth of the matter is, it's not just the Ephesians church that has forgotten their former reality. We do it all the time. In fact, I would argue the longer that you follow Jesus, the more tempting it is to forget your former reality. So when you follow Jesus, I've been following Jesus for, for a while. I, I, don't, I don't really think and dwell too much, as much as I should, to remember what my life was before Jesus. But Paul is writing doctrine. He's creating an argument and he's saying if you want to understand God and you want to understand his ways, you need to understand who you are. And you are the people who not long ago were without hope, who were separate from God, who knew nothing about Jesus. See, we want to be the kind of people who rush to the good news of the gospel. And friends, it is good news. But for something to be good, we have to have a context of bad news. And this is the bad news. The bad news that we too have a former reality that we are separate from God. But it's so beautiful that it, Paul doesn't dwell on that former reality. It's the foundation for the next movement, which is the reconciling work of Jesus, verses 13 through 18. This is the good news. So we don't sit in this reality of, of our former reality being separate from God and without hope. That's all true, but then what? Then the reconciling work of Jesus Christ comes into this world, bursts into our life, and we are no longer separated from Christ. This is the good news. This is our faith. Everything pivots in verse 13 when it says, but now. Earlier in verse 4, Paul's making a, a similar argument about our sins and our transgressions and the life that we are, had to account for prior to knowing Jesus. And the pivot point in verse 4 is chapter 2, but God. Because but God and but now, we don't live in our former reality. We live in the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. This is the real love story this weekend. This is... Just, this has nothing to do with anything. Um, I think Valentine's Day is a little weird in, in a little bit. It, but I have these thoughts in my head that um, these things that I think would be really funny for other people to say, but it would be inappropriate for me to say. So I went to Jenny and I said, because it seems like this year, for whatever reason, people keep asking a little bit more each year, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? Valentine's Day. And I said, Jenny, can you do me a favor? When somebody asks you at church this weekend what, you, what we did for Valentine's Day, can you look at them with a straight face and just say, when you're married to Jeff Matisich, every day is Valentine's Day. Would you? She said no. She said no. Um, I said, like, every 15 days is it Valentine's Day? You know, like, sorry. It's, I told you it had nothing to do with anything. But right, the reconciling work of Jesus Christ is the good news, is the love story of this world. Because of God 
And because of his love for you and I, we no longer sit in this former reality of separation, but the reconciling work of Jesus Christ makes everything right. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. So yes, we've been far away, but now because of Jesus, we are near. We are close. And it goes on through 14 through 18 to talk more about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Many of you are familiar with uh, Eugene Peterson, and he has a paraphrase of the Bible called the, the Message. It's not a translation, but I find his language sometimes to be so uh, di direct and beautiful that when I read it after living in the text this week, when I read it, I read it on Friday, there was something, it just spoke to me different ways. I would love to read his paraphrase to you of all of these verses, trusting that it will hit you in a little more modern language to see the beauty of this love story. But don't take any of this for granted. It was only yesterday that you outsiders to God's ways had no idea about any of this. Didn't know the first thing about the way God works. Hadn't the faintest idea of Christ. You knew nothing of that rich history of God's covenants and promises in Israel. Hadn't a clue about what God was doing in the world at large. Now because of Christ dying that death and shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether you're in on everything. The Messiah has made things up between us so that we're now together on this, both non-Jewish outsiders and Jewish insiders. He tore down the wall we used to keep each other at a distance. We, he repealed the law code that had become so clogged with fine print and footnotes that it hindered more than it helped. Then he started over. Instead of continuing with two groups of people separated by centuries of animosity and suspicion, he created a new kind of human being, a fresh start for everybody. Christ brought us together through his death on the cross. The cross got us to embrace, and that was the end of the hostility. Christ came and preached peace to you outsiders and peace to us insiders. He treated us as equals and so made us equals. Through him, we both share the same spirit and have equal access to the Father. That's plain enough, isn't it? You're no longer wandering exiles. The kingdom of faith is now your home country. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using all of us, irrespective of how we got here and what he is building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now he's using you fitting you in brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God, all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. See, our former reality, the truth is we were separate from God, but the way that lived out at an earthly level is we were separate from one another. And the reconciling work of Jesus, verses 13 through 18, reconciles you and I to the living God and also reconciles us to one another. That the ways that we separate ourselves from one another and the divisions that exist in this world, the reality of sin and how it plays into all of this because of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ, we are reconciled to God and we are reconciled to one another. This is the good news, that our former reality has been entered into by the living God in Jesus Christ. 
And you'll read through those things that he does, he brings this peace to where hostility is. So we have our former reality, the reconciling work of Jesus, and then the final movement in Paul's argument is our new identity. Verses 19 to 22. You're no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. This is, this is the, 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 the real doctrine of the church. That because of the reconciliation of Jesus Christ, we now, over all that divides, in the name of Jesus Christ, become together and we form a new people, one new man. Jew and Gentile, one, under Jesus. And all that was separate is now together. For us at Lake Avenue, that is where we get the idea and the phrase, the unexpected family. Amen. This was God's plan for the earth. That the chosen special relationship with Israel and because of Jesus and the reconciliation of Jesus, God becomes for all. And now across all nations, all languages, all backgrounds, that Jesus Christ brings the church together to form a new humanity. Verse 22, and in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Uh, for the Ephesian church, they would, they would pick up that throughout this whole section, there's all kinds of temple and, and house of worship imagery. So in verse 22, when it talks about being knit together, Eugene Peterson, when he says brick by brick, stone by stone, it's a dramatic shift in the way God met with his people. In that, in that special, unique relationship in the Old Testament with the, with the nation of Israel, God's presence was in a location. It was in the temple. You would go to a physical building, and there were rules and regulations on how you entered that. God had a, had a place, had a physical location. There's a change in the new covenant. In the new covenant, it's no longer about a physical building. It's about us, the unexpected family of God, coming together. And as we come together... We become the building. We become the presence of God. And it's no longer confined to an address. It lives within the people of God. Which you see, this is how the enemy works. I, I hope you see this. If we can just get Christians in a church to disagree with each other, if we can get just denominations to disagree with each other, if we can prevent ourselves from, if I can prevent the church from being unified, then the presence of God will be compromised. See, division is of the, of the enemy, not of our Lord. You and I have the opportunity through our lives, the way we be this unexpected family, that as we come together brick by brick, person by person, that God's presence lives among us. And the way that we are prevented from being all that God has called us to be at Lake Avenue Church is if we can find little subtle ways to separate ourselves from one another. If we can find ways to, to declare that, hey, maybe my understanding of all of this is a little bit better than yours, or I've been here long. You know, I've talked to people who've been at Lake uh, just for a short time, and they have pointed out to me numerous times that there's an interesting thing about people who've been at Lake. They're amazing, they're faithful, but you guys always lead out with how many years you've been at Lake Avenue Church. It's so true. I do it too, 17. <laughs> but why? But why? 
Why is that a lead out for us? I want to believe the best. I want to believe that times where we stand up and we say, my name is such and such, and I've been at Lake for 30-something years, what we're declaring is for 33 years, I have, I have uh, followed Jesus in this place. I've been discipled. I've grown in my faith. I've learned how to be more like Jesus in my life. But if we're truthful, oftentimes when we declare how many years we've been at Lake, what we're doing is saying, I'm a little bit more, this is more my place than somebody else's. Friends, if the reason we are declaring why we have been here or how long we follow Jesus and, our, and the, the product of that is that we want everybody to listen a little bit more, if it has nothing to do with God, then we're right smack in the Ephesians church and we need to hear these words. We have to remember our former reality because all of us, before following Jesus, we're separate from God. All of us are on equal playing field. This dividing wall of hostility, to continue with the temple image in here, Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility being gone. Again, it's important to understand what's, what's happening. In the temple, when you would come to worship the living God, there were places for you based on your ethnicity and based on your gender. So if you were a Gentile, you were only able to go in the temple to the court of Gentiles. And the court of Gentiles was outside of the temple. And the court of Gentiles had tall walls that you couldn't even see into the other parts of the temple. It was literally separate, separating you from other people. If you were a Jewish woman, then you had a temp, uh, the court of women. And you could go to a certain spot. If you were a Jewish man, there was a spot for you. If you were a religious Jewish man, then you got a little bit closer. And then we know that the high priest, once a year, could go into the Holy of Holies. So when Paul talks about the dividing wall of hostility, the readers in Ephesians would have known. He's talking about the temple, all the ways that the people were separate from each other. All of that is down. Many years ago, when Albert and I were leading high school together, we were in this text, and we made the high school room look like the temple. And so kids would come into worship that Sunday, and based on their ethnicity and their gender, they had a special section to sit in. It was a tough morning. But I'll tell you, when you sit like that for a little bit, it makes you understand what the power of Jesus has done to take all of that down. I wonder what our reaction would have been this morning if we would have done that. We have to remember our former reality. So when Paul is talking about the dividing wall of hostility, these were literal walls that were up in the worship venue. And although I believe deeply and celebrate that the walls, the literal walls have come down in, the, in this, this church movement and being the New Testament church, the truth of the matter is we still can put up walls from one another we still can find ways to separate ourselves from one another. And we have to fight the temptation to do that in this place. Everything outside of the church, everything outside slices and dices and puts people into demographics and beliefs. I mean, all you got to do is put on the news after the, the primary this week and how they broke down voters and percentages. And, and these are walls that are meant to express the divisions that are among us. Friends at the church, in this unexpected family, we have to fight to not put the walls up. How do we do that? I'll suggest four things for you our unexpected family traits. And the first one is we need to be a family 
that shares physical space with one another. We can call that vicinity. Right? In the, in, the, in, the, in the temple system with the literal walls, they didn't share physical space. They might have shared an address, but there were particular sections for particular kinds of people. Friends, at Lake Avenue Church, we have to fight to not put up walls where we are only surrounding ourselves with people that are just like us. Around the same age, around the same interests, the same political beliefs, the same understanding, the same amount of years at Lake Avenue. No, no, no. At Lake Avenue Church, we need to constantly be putting ourselves in the vicinity of other people and share the physical space with one another because it's only if we're in vicinity with each other we can grow to intimacy. But, but not, only, not only sharing the physical space when you're at this campus or you're with church people, but being aware of our physical space right here at 393 North Lake Avenue. For over 120 years, God has placed us right here and there is no mistake of why we are here. He has work for us to do in this particular place. The work that happens in this place extends to the ends of the earth, but the work also extends across the street and up a few blocks because we don't want any walls between us and the community he has placed us in. And when the community perceives walls at a church, it becomes noisy, it becomes loud, it becomes irrelevant. And friends, we have to be the kind of people who take our physical space seriously, both with one another and with the physical space of this church campus. The second thing, the unexpected family trait of mutual relationships. It's not intimacy. It's not just about vicinity. There are, there are parts of my family that they mistake vicinity and intimacy all the time. So, so for them, if we're all together in a room having a meal together, that's intimacy. And I would argue, no, intimacy requires mutual relationship, a mutuality. You can share vicinity with someone and never have intimacy, which means you can be really happy of the shared vicinity in a room like this and never have intimacy with people who are different than you. Now, let's remember, the, the Jewish-Gentile relationship was not one of just, they didn't just ignore each other. It was a hostile relationship. In fact, in, when, when we read in, in, in verse 11 that you were the uncircumcised and the circumcision, that, that, was, a, that, was, almost, that was a racial slur. That was basically this, this act of, of uh, circumcision that God creates as a sign of humility for his people became a sign and a symbol of pride. And so the Jewish people would walk around and look at Gentiles and they call them uncircumcision. We're the circumcision. We are better than others. So when the walls come down in the temple, great. Great, now we're sharing space. But now we need some mutual relationship. What was it like being a, what's it like being a Gentile? What's it like being Jewish? Moving beyond just sharing space to actually having intimacy with one another. Friends, we need to fight hard for mutual relationships, for real intimacy. Third, the unexpected family trait of a shared purpose. See, we don't gather as a church just so that we can share space and like each other and talk with each other. We, we do all of those things because you and I are part, of, are part of a movement of God. And there is a mission for us as a church. And so we share vicinity and we create intimacy with one another. We get into one another's lives. Why? Because we have a mission when we are not here. And our mission is following Jesus. We participate in God's reconciling work by making disciples of all peoples and all generations. 
Friends, that is what Lake Avenue is here for. That we become this unexpected family where we, we share the space with each other. We grow in our mutual understanding of one another so that we can do the mission that God has called us to its fullest. We are not a country club. This isn't a members-only thing where you, you come and you've got your spot. This is a place where we come and, and meet the power of Jesus Christ so that when we go back to our work and to our homes and to our families and to our lives, that we are able to bring the mission that God has called us to, to bring his reconciliation, his work to all peoples, all generations. We, have, we are a family with purpose. We are a family with a shared purpose. And finally, in this unexpected family, we have to remember constantly that we have a common father. And because of that, we have a shared identity. We have a shared paternity. In this room and in this congregation, there's so much background. There's so many ways that, that we have experienced life in this world all over the globe and even religious backgrounds. But we have come here and we become this unexpected family, and of all the uniqueness and beauty of all of our individual backgrounds, we come together and call on the name of one Father together, and because of our identity as children of God, that identity defines who we are as the church at Lake Avenue. We share a daddy, and because of that, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. I didn't grow up in the church, uh, but I met Jesus in middle school, and a church just swallowed me in with love. A lot, of, I, I, a lot of why I'm doing what I'm doing now in my life is because this church came alongside me as a teenager, uh, allowed me to lead, allowed me to do things, and started forming my identity and saying, this is how God has made you. And it was, it's a great church, and I'm so thankful for it. But I'll tell you, it's a very different church than Lake Avenue. And the town that I grew up in is very different than Pasadena. When I grew up, it would just be okay and common to refer to our city as a, as a double-stuffed Oreo cookie. Because there's two poor parts of town with people of color, and then there's the big, white, middle class in the middle. And while it was okay to befriend people who looked different than me at school, that never translated to me going to anybody's home. In fact, my best friend, who I was just reunited with at our 20-year high school reunion, my best friend in high school, at school, was an African-American. I never once went to his house, and he never once came to my house. But while we were at school, that was fine. In my church, the church that I love, the church that shaped me, a church that is still doing amazing things for Jesus, I, I look at the youth group pictures, and I look at the, the way that our church congregated, and it was honestly, it was the middle of that, that Oreo, all white. And they had a heart. We had mission. So on Fridays, what our church would do is gather up groceries and that people who were poor could come to our church campus and pick, some, pick up some groceries. And the relationship looked like this. Here are your groceries. Thank you for coming. And then we would walk back to our church and they would walk back home. Friends, you are a part of a church that completely gives groceries to people. But we say this, here are your groceries and here's our life. And you're a brother and a sister. And you don't just come get something here, you come and be part of something here. Amen. Friends, this is a unique church. 
Ask anybody who's looked at other churches all over the nation. We're not, we're not, we're not the best at anything, but I'll tell you this, the opportunity that we have at this church is unique because like Ephesians, we are a multi-ethnic church with all kinds of background, with all kinds of experience, with all kinds of understandings of God, but yet we come here because of the reconciling work of Jesus Christ and we become the unexpected family. I had people take a picture last week, a bunch of different pictures on campus and turn in if we could show the collage. This is Lake Avenue Church. It's beautiful. It's unique. And for me, it's just so different than how I grew up. I compiled a list this week of things that I had never done or been a part of before coming to Lake Avenue Church in 1999. I think you'll get a kick out of some of these. Before coming to Lake Avenue Church, I had never had lobster before. <laughs> and I'd never have tacos without a crunchy shell. I'd never been to a quinceanera. I never celebrated Chinese New Year. And I'd never been to a debutante ball. I never befriended an undocumented citizen. I never knew someone who had been in prison. I'd never heard firsthand from someone who was in World War II, firsthand from someone who marched with Martin Luther King, and firsthand of someone who was a, in a Japanese internment camp. I'd never been to a country club for dinner, and I had never been into a one-room apartment that housed 10 people for dinner. I never knew, I was never run down by someone on a Sunday and said, here's my offering, and I open up the check and it's $50,000, and then been run down by someone on Sunday and give me 50 cents for the offering. Friends, this is who we are. This is our opportunity. And friends, it is a stewardship. There are not many places that have the opportunity to be the breadth and depth of the unexpected family that we do. But we've got to be honest about it. Just like the church in Ephesians, we are going to have to fight separation. We are going to have to fight the human nature of dividing ourselves based on fill in the blank. And at this church, we unify under the reconciling work of Jesus Christ. We recognize our shared paternity, our identity as the people of God in his church and the unexpected family. Friends, it is a stewardship. And it's ours to, to do with it as faithfully as we may. Let me show a couple other pictures real quick of this unexpected family. You always want a Jerry in your family. Next picture. That's Kate Jennings, my neighbor, and she's holding my son's hand. In our unexpected family, my four-year-old has a sixth grade Sunday school teacher. Praise God. And I think we have one more picture of our middle school and high school staff <laughs> on the bus with kids up to camp. Friends, this is, this is who we are. We, we, in many ways, are probably more connected to the Ephesian church than we, than we realize, which means we constantly have to be coming back to one through three, understanding what we're supposed to know because everything will tell us something different. And not just know, but into action, so we've got to come back to four, five, and six to understand how we are to live. I believe we are doing that in very beautiful and profound ways, but it's only through the power of Jesus Christ and the grace of Jesus Christ that we can be a healthy family.
and may we continue to grow. As the band comes forward, join me in prayer. God, thank you for this unexpected family. Thank you for the rich history of faithfulness at Lake Avenue Church, the journey that this church has been on for, for so long. We're grateful that you brought each one of us to it. God, for those who are visiting today, I pray that in their spirit and their soul and their mind, there is something that is curious about us, that the relationship that we at Lake Avenue Church have with you, the living God, would stand out, not just to them in the pew, but as we leave this place, that people will be drawn to you because of the way we love one another, the way we live in our common identity, the way we live out our mission, the way we share space and share life with one another. May it be so attractive to the world around us that more and more people not only come to our church, but come into your presence and leave their former identity. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.